0: Welcome back. This is Priscilla, and we have been on quite a journey together already discussing some resolutions that really are revolutionary, things that really are encouraging us and challenging us all at the same time. I have been, for our last two sessions together, encouraging you to make some decisions in your life, as I make decisions in mine, that really are going to transform the way we live and then have a ripple effect on the lives of the people that we love. The Kendrick Brothers, who you know because of the incredible movies that they have given us, Facing the Giants and Flywheel and Fireproof. This previous year, they allowed us to get a glimpse of what it means to be courageous. Their wonderful film by that same title set out some resolutions for men, and they asked me to join them by writing a book for women with our own set of resolutions that really could be transformative in our life. And so you and I have been talking about over the last couple sessions together, we've already dealt with being satisfied and we've dealt with being authentic and bringing our genuine selves into every portion of our lives. Today, I want to talk to you about giving your best. I want to start by telling you that I've got one of those nifty iPhones. You probably have one too. It seems like almost everybody does. I'm not very technologically savvy, to be honest with you, but I can say that this little gadget is something else. It seems to be equipped with far more technology than I'll ever actually use, but it's enough to keep me pretty intrigued. But me and this phone of mine, we have issues. Before I got a particular case for it called an OtterBox, I think, the case for the most clumsy of iPhone users, that would be me, I dropped my phone on several occasions And I found myself spending a small fortune to get it repaired. The second time it happened, I got to tell you, I was afraid to tell my husband. I just knew that he would stare at me, complete disbelief. I, I knew he wouldn't just be able to imagine that I had allowed it to happen again. So I delayed and delayed giving him that grave report as long as I possibly could. A couple of days went by and then those days turned into weeks and before I knew it, I was carrying around that cracked phone for well over a month. Now, just to make sure that you get the picture here, this was not a single crack or even double lines that were lacing the glassy face of my phone. This was a monster size crack, or should I say, cracks. They were everywhere. And it was so bad that I couldn't really even read text messages when they came in or look at photos. I had to maneuver the screen around ever so slightly to the left or to the right, up or down with my quote-unquote cell phone thumb just to take in the information that was on the screen. It was really pitiful. But here's the deal. I utilized the phone in that condition for so long that I became immune to all those cracks. I'm serious. Despite the fact that my phone looked completely mauled, I began to become used to the break and completely desensitized to the disaster. I totally forgot that the face of my phone needed to be fixed. It went on for so long that the only time I remembered that there was a problem with my phone was when I held it up to somebody else to see a photo or a message and they gasped in horror at the disaster that was my telephone. Every single time this happened, my memory seemed to be shaken awake and I remembered and became aware of the crack that I'd been living with for so long. It's amazing, isn't it? What we can become comfortable with. Things that are broken and no longer work well for us, but because we've been so used to maneuvering things, we've just learned to live with it instead of fix it. The same thing is true about our lives that was true about my phone at least at one time or another. I've been in relationships before that weren't working for me anymore, but I just kept tweaking in an effort to keep them intact. I've often developed financial habits that were not beneficial, but I became desensitized to the negative effect those habits were having on my overall well-being, Shoot, I've got some eating habits that weren't beneficial much for me in my life, and I just wouldn't let go of them because I don't know about for you, but for me, eating is a hobby, my friend. I don't have to be hungry. It just has to look good and be available to me. And I've had to get a grasp on that in my life as well. There are so many things that aren't working for us, but we don't want to take the time, the energy. We don't want to pay what it will cost us to actually have that thing fixed. I wonder if you too have something in your life that's kind of filled with cracks now and you've neglected to overhaul it because the change is just going to cost you more than you want to spend or require that you come out of a comfort zone that you've just grown used to. You don't want to upset the balance now. One way that this type of mentality seems to be infiltrating our culture and running rampant through our homes and families and personal lives is in the area of busyness. We've grown so used to constant activity and stress that we don't even realize the toll that it's taking on us anymore. Gordon McDonald, a minister who I highly admire, says this, I'm of the opinion that busyness is a deeper threat to the soul than pornography ever was. Oof, that's quite a statement, isn't it? There's always so much to do and so little time. Rarely do 24 hours seem to be enough time in one day to accomplish everything that is set before us. It just seems impossible sometimes, doesn't it? And yet, like the Energizer Bunny, we just keep going and going and going. We keep moving and moving and working and working in a never-ending cycle of activity. And we don't even realize that this isn't working for us anymore. Our families are broken. Our emotions are frazzled. Our energy levels are completely zapped. It isn't working for us anymore. Our culture applauds activity, it celebrates busyness. It often takes someone else, someone on the outside of your life, to look into the face and fabric of your life to remind you that what you've gotten so familiar with. And what you've been seeing so clearly and constantly in your life is filled with cracks that are desperately in need of repair and need to be fixed fast. A little girl was once asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? Her reply, after a few moments of deep thought, I think I want to be tired. (laughs) That's all she'd ever seen in the adults that were around her, so she thought it was normal. Being too busy is an epidemic. And in a culture that doesn't want to combat this type of thinking, we have to purposefully decide to slow down, to regroup, to be intentional and prioritize and make certain to reserve our energy for the things the Lord has called us to accomplish. It's the only way we'll ever be able to give our best. We can only do that if we make a resolution. If we put a counterculture stake in the ground, so to speak, and determine to follow the action plan spelled out by our third resolution principle. Here's the resolution. I will seek to devote the best of myself, my time, and my talents to the primary roles the Lord has entrusted to me in this season of my life. Listen to that one again. I will seek to devote the best of myself, my time, and my talents to the primary roles the Lord has entrusted to me in this season of my life. Oh, goodness, I could just almost hear you take a big sigh when you heard that resolution. The sound of a resolution like this one might make you a little bit uneasy, or at the very least completely frustrated with me now for several reasons. First, that phrase, the best of myself, often strikes a chord with women like you and me. We already give so much. We really don't want to be told by anybody that we need to give more. For the most part, as far as we can tell, we're already giving our best. We don't have any choice, really. Our husbands, our children, our jobs, our ministries, they wouldn't function as they do if we weren't giving what we think is our best. So to hear me ask you to consider making a resolution that sounds like it's asking you for more than you were already giving might make some of the hair stand up on the back of your arm. I get it. But stick with me for a moment, my friend. I don't want you to get so hung up on that first part of the resolution that you miss out on the second half. And this is the part that changes the playing field for our whole purpose. It's the part that keeps us from breaking down under the pressure of these fast-paced, busy, and often overwhelming lives of ours. It's the part that calls for us to determine what the primary roles are that the Lord has given us in this season of our lives. This is the section of the resolution that gives balance to what we are determining to do. Giving the best of yourself over an extended period of time is not possible if there are too many things that you are trying to make that type of investment into. Determining what God has called you to do right now in this season And then giving yourself permission to prioritize those things is a requirement for any of us that truly want to give our best to the things and people that we love the most and who deserve the best of us right now. It is also paramount for any of us that want to glorify the Lord with our lives. Now, in case you were wondering, this isn't some modern philosophy that I've come up with. It's a piece of venerated wisdom from Christ's own life and example. As he lived on earth and focused his attention on fulfilling the purpose of bringing glory to his father during his earthly ministry, in order to explain why and how, he said this in John 5:19, I only do what I see the father doing. I'll put it in modern day vernacular for you. Actually, it's my Texas vernacular. If the father ain't doing it, then I ain't doing it. Plain and simple. Jesus, with all of the demands and pressures to do so much in so little time, I mean, think about it. He only had three years of earthly, of his earthly ministry. He restrained himself from being spent on everything because he determined to focus on the things that his father had purpose for him to do right now. Shoot, this is a hard lesson for you and for me, isn't it? Well, maybe I just need to speak for myself. I'm often so exhausted from doing everything that by the time I get to the thing that God has actually called me to do, I'm too tired to give it my best. I've been spread too thin and run too ragged to fully engage in the holy tasks at hand in my life. Paring down my focus and narrowing the scope of my activity only to what the Lord has asked me to do in this season, it's difficult. You know why? Because it means saying no, like Jesus often did to activities that would have been good things, but not God's things for him at that moment. It's a difficult task for me. Somehow, I feel guilty for not agreeing to participate in that activity or to oblige that request. I feel less capable than the other women who I run into that seem to be doing everything so well and looking so good at it all at the same time. But the reality is we all have to make some decisions to put first what God is asking us to put first. Can I just tell you that it is such an honor and a privilege to be able to share with you not only in the last couple days, but today as well, and then moving forward, to be able to just have some moments with you where I'm asking you to consider these resolutions, to be in ministry, not only on the radio with you today, but to stand in front of groups where I get to share some truths from Scripture and to be in ministry. It's a privilege. But I've had to really go back to the drawing board and remind myself about what God has primarily asked of me in this season of my life. As a mother with young children, my primary goal is to spend my time, my energy, my seminal efforts in making sure that I raise men of God who will be able to be warriors for him when they grow into adulthood. I've been asked to be my husband's wife, to prioritize him, to make sure that he feels significant and invested into. And so as much as I enjoy ministry, it cannot be my primary goal. My primary goal has to be my own relationship with the Lord and then my family. And then the Lord gives me energy and time and effort to invest as I can in ministry. But can I tell you that it does mean saying no. It means saying no to lunches with friends. It means saying no to all the opportunities that might come our way in different avenues of our life. It means making the tough decision to say no, if Jesus did it then it's definitely in our interest to do the same. We'll find that slowly but surely all those cracks start getting repaired. Relationships are restored and mended. Our emotional and mental health is repaired. Our stress and frustration level is lowered. And appreciation for life and the good gifts that God has given us, they're heightened. When will I learn? When will we all learn? that there's beauty in resolving to prioritize what God has given us to do in this season, knowing and understanding that the season will change. And when it does, it will often require a shift in our attention and priorities that will cause us to have to recalibrate our activities and refocus our time and energy and attention once again on the things that we had to move to the back of the line for now. (laughs) But for now, if it's small children that need your full time and attention, well, then give them your best. If it's that fledgling ministry that God has called you to nurture, give it your best. If it's the call to devote yourself to taking care of your aging parents, then commit your full self. If it's fully investing yourself into this season of singleness, then bring your best. Sure, there will be sacrifices to make, but making them will bring you into alignment with God's primary purpose and calling for you right now. And being fully devoted to the Father's will is the best place for you and I to be. There are two biblical thoughts that I really want to draw your attention to during our time together. I want you to consider this in light of the resolution that we are making today. One from the New Testament about Jesus himself, and the other from the Old Testament and the children of Israel's experience. From Mark chapter 1, we can consider a day in the life of Jesus. After teaching in the synagogue all day long, and then performing a miraculous healing for Peter's ailing mother-in-law, You'd imagine that Jesus in his humanity was pretty tired. I mean, who wouldn't be after serving all day long? I know that after just teaching one or two sessions at a conference, I'm complete toast. Well, Jesus has been serving all day long. He's been going nonstop one thing after the next thing. So when evening came, it says he didn't even get anything resembling a break like we'd expect he would. Mark 1, 33 through 34 says the whole city was gathered at his door and he healed many who were ill, and he cast out demons. But Jesus knew when enough was enough. Because there's a shift that happens in the text between verses 33 and 34, and then what Jesus does in 35. In verses 33 and 34, there are people surrounding him. They want his attention. They are vying for him to get up close and personal with them and their needs. But in verse 35, it says that Jesus went to a lonely place, to pray, to spend time with the Father, to commune with him, to be alone. He left the crowd. He left the masses. And listen, the disciples were looking for him. It says later on in the passage that they say, Jesus, where have you been? We've been looking for you. Don't you know that the whole community is here? They all want to see you. This is a great time for you to display your power. But Jesus, he peeled off away from the crowd. I mean, it would look like the smartest thing to do, the good thing to do would be to to display himself, his glory in front of the masses, the audience, to receive their applause. But no, Jesus put first things first. And in the wee hours of the morning, he spent time with the father and he received direction for the next portion of his ministry because he did that, because he prioritized time with the father. And so when the disciples said, hey, there's a crowd waiting on you, let's go. Jesus said, no, we've got to go to Capernaum because I've got preaching to do there. Jesus left the crowd to head to Capernaum to teach people. It's because he had spent time with the Father, and he was willing to put first things first. Choosing to pare down our lives to divine priorities is liberating. It frees us up to fully engage and fully enjoy what God has given us. We aren't pressured by people and circumstances so much that we cave into everything. We want to do what he's called us to do and give what he's called us to give. Instead of being bogged down and overwhelmed by what's going on around us, we can enjoy the things that God has put before us and fully invest our best into those things. This leads me to a supplementary thought that I want to leave with you today. I really want you to consider this. It has to do with the children of Israel and their release from slavery. Remember, Canaan wasn't God's goal for the people, the promised land. That wasn't God's primary goal for releasing the people. Intimacy with him was. These Hebrews had been trained in slavery for nearly 400 years. They didn't know what it was like not to be busy, not to have their calendars fully extended and filled with activity. And yet God, in an effort to reformat their thinking so that they wouldn't just be physically free, but that their souls would be free as well. He gave them many gifts to express to them, his love for them, his protection for them, his ability to provide for them. He gave them manna from the heavens. He gave them water from a rock. He gave them quail when they wanted meat. He made sure that their shoes never wore out on their feet. He took good care of them. And another gift that he gave them was something that at the time they wouldn't have seen as a gift. Listen to it in Deuteronomy chapter 5, beginning at verse 13. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work. And you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out of there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. There's the gift, the Sabbath day. The children of Israel wouldn't have seen it as a gift at the time. They had been trained to always work 365 days a year, 24-7. And now they're being told to take a break? They didn't necessarily even want a break. Work had become what they were used to. But God wanted there to be a sliver of time, some margin that they would step into and look back on the previous six days and celebrate the provision and the protection of God. He was trying to reformat their hearts away from constant busyness and onto a relationship that was intimate with himself. And while in the Children of Israel's experience, it was about taking one day out of every seven days to spend time with the Lord, the principle, the attitude of the Sabbath is one that we can institute in our lives. So that even if we're not taking a day, a week, a full 24 hours, it really is about the attitude that we have, that we don't allow ourselves to become enslaved to any activities, to any sort of busyness, to any overwhelming opportunities in our life that we just forget that We need to take time to have margin, to carve out and prioritize what matters most to God, to pour ourselves completely into those things and to give our best. This is what the Sabbath mentality is all about. It's about carving out time to celebrate what God has done and what we have full anticipation that he is going to do. So from the example of Jesus himself, And from the example of the children of Israel from the times of old, we find that there's nothing wrong with pulling away from our work, pulling away from our play, pulling away from the things that pack our time, our schedule, that zap our energy, that cause us to be completely unable to give our full selves and invest them fully into what God has placed before us. There's nothing wrong with pulling aside for just a little while, reprioritizing, refiguring, And then stepping back up to the plate, the plates that the Lord has placed in front of us and giving our best. It's a resolution that is worth making, and I'll pray that you'll make it with me.